We're looking at Mark chapter 13 today. I'll read the entirety of Mark 13 for context. We're going to be covering this in uh, two sections. This is Jesus at the end of his ministry, at the end of his time in Jerusalem uh, before his death. Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it not ought to be, Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would, no human would, being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, from the... From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. You also 
when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each of his work with each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Father, we thank you for your word to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would work in our lives in a powerful way, that we would be prepared. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after the hurricane, after Hurricane Michael, uh, I had a shed that stood before the hurricane. It was this big metal shed. And so after the hurricane, uh, it was ripped out of its anchors and flipped over in my neighbor's yard and flattened like a pancake. But there was one thing that remained, and that was something that was there prior uh, to when we got there. There was a sign that somebody at some point had put up in our shed, and it said, the 30A life. The 30A life. Now, I had kind of become a little bit familiar um, with all of this years ago, decades ago even, when um, I worked for our campus ministry, Reformed University Fellowship, and went with a fellow campus minister, and we went over uh, to a place on 30A, and that's when I first became familiar with the terminology, uh, the Redneck Riviera. And, um, and so it's really over there these days, it's not so much redneck, it's pretty much Riviera, isn't it? It's very nice over there. And, um, and so the 30A life, you know, that's what evidently the people that lived in our house were aspiring towards. Um, and so what, is it, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to live the finish line life? So Jesus here is really answering a question that his disciples have. And he's talking about the fact uh, of a couple different things. He's talking about, number one, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. That's clear. And he's talking about his return at the end of the age, the finish line. And so what should we expect our life to be like, the finish line life? Well, we should be looking towards that finish line And we should be living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will it be like? So again, let's look at the first few verses. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all of these things are accomplished. He's looking at what's called Herod's temple. And here's how one commentator, one scholar by the name of James Edwards referred to and described this temple. 
The immense 35-acre enclosure could accommodate 12 football fields. The southeast corner of the retaining wall hung some 15 stories above the ground that sloped down toward the Kidron Valley. The blocks of stone used in construction were enormous, approximately 60 feet in length. But even today at the temple site, stones north of Wilson's Arch measure measure 42 feet long, 11 feet high, 14 feet deep, and weigh over a million pounds. The magnitude of the Temple Mount and the stones used to construct it exceed it in size any other temple in the ancient world. And this description so far is just the temple's retaining wall. As for the temple itself, the gleaming royal portico, a striking spectacle to quote Josephus, was 45 feet wide, consisted of three aisles supported by four rows of columns. The columns were crowned with Corinthian capitals and rose to a height of 40 feet, supporting a cedar-paneled ceiling. The thickness of each column was such that it would take three men with outstretched arms touching one another to envelop it. In the center stood the sanctuary, which, as ancient writers noted, was shaped like a lion, broader in the front, And narrower in the back, it rose to a height of 50 meters and was a visual collage of gold and silver, crimson and purple, radiating the rising sun like a snow-clad mountain. The figures Josephus gives us for the blocks of stone in the sanctuary exceed in size even those of the foundation. A vast and stupendous complex it was. No wonder the disciples were overwhelmed. They see these huge stones. A million pounds, one stone, right? Huge, gigantic stones. And add to this the fact that this was the temple. This is the temple of the Lord, the the one true God. And if anything was going to remain, if anything was going to be solid, if anything was going to be unmoved in this world, it should be the temple. Look at these wonderful stones. And Jesus says, Don't put your trust in anything on this planet, physical, to remain. Our ultimate hope is not in what might appear to be the most solid of earthly things. Now, we should be thankful for the things that the Lord gives to us, the physical things. Your home, your job, your family, your spouse, your friends, your heritage, your school, your church building. Right? We don't want to be ungrateful for the things that the Lord gives us to comfort us and encourage us in this life. In fact, we're going to be thanking the Lord for that during Thanksgiving, and that we should. We should take comfort in those things, but we don't put our ultimate hope in even the most solid of earthly things because only the Lord himself is solid and unmovable. Jesus had spoken about corruption in the temple. You'll recall this back in chapter 11. We talked about the fact that the, Jesus said, you've made um, my house a den of robbers and how the temple had become corrupt. And then Jesus spoke of the, um, used the, the, the image of the fig tree and the fig tree at its roots would be withered. It was a sign and a symbol of the coming destruction of the temple. And so he says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And there are, in fact, historical accounts of these stones being pried apart as gold because of the fire at the temple at its destruction 
uh, oozed down the sides of the temple that people were prying these stones apart to get at the gold that remained. And then he was at the temple and then across from the temple on the Mount of Olives. And so he had this great view and the disciples had this great view of the temple. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished. The the disciples are asking this question. If this is going to happen, this cataclysm is, is, must mean the end of the world when this happens, putting these two things together. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew makes it explicit that the disciples think that when the temple is destroyed, then the end of the world is going to come and Jesus is going to return uh, to judge the earth. When will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? Your coming. Now, Chapter 13 of Mark, there is much debate in the church, much debate among people in terms of what this is about. But it's clear that it's about two things. One is the destruction of the temple and the coming of Jesus Christ, his second coming, right? And so the temple was going to be destroyed some 40 years after Jesus was having this conversation in 70 A.D., And so Jesus is making it clear that these two things are going to happen. First, the destruction of the temple, and then he is going to come back at some point later. And so what he's telling us in these passages is that we need to wait, that we need to anticipate, that we need to trust him, that we need to take appropriate action during this time as we wait for the finish line of all history coming to its finish line, the end of the age. So we need to anticipate, as we wait, national and international and personal difficulties while you wait, while you look to the finish line. And Jesus began to say to them, in verse 5, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. So the first difficulty that Jesus mentions is the coming of people in Christ's name to lead us astray. And there were prior to the destruction of the temple, false messiahs that rose, arose and said, I am the Messiah. And they led people astray, and they all came to nothing. We're not to let these false messiahs lead us astray. There were documented rumors of war. There were times when people said, the Romans are coming, the Romans are coming, and they're going to destroy us, and then the Romans didn't come. There's wars and rumors of wars. The disciples asked for a sign of the coming of Christ, and that sign would neither be false messiahs, nor wars, nor rumors of wars. That did not mean that Jesus was going to come the next day or the next week when you saw these things taking place. It was, in fact, the beginning of the birth pains. Over the summer in West Virginia, Ellie Sayers uh, 
was to have a C-section. She was to have a C-section delivery um, on July 13th, but her baby thought otherwise, and so she went into labor on July 11th, 7-11, and on the way to the hospital, she pulled into a 7-Eleven convenience store and had her baby. Sometimes labor is short. Sometimes labor is very long. And we don't know how long the labor is going to last, but Jesus says these are but the beginning of the birth pains. This week I was online and I saw a YouTube video of somebody who said, if you listen to the words of Jesus in the Bible, then you will believe the only heaven is the one that you create on earth. A false Christ is presented. We have many false Christs presented in our day and age that lead people astray to give up on the real Christ and the real gospel of Jesus Christ that we, in fact, are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's why Jesus came, to save us from our sins and to restore our relationship with God that we might know him now and for all eternity and know the joy of the Spirit of God in our lives now and that we might have fellowship with one another and for all eternity in perfection. Don't be led astray. Don't give up the real Christ. Don't give up the real gospel. You know, when I was younger, I remember people saying it seemed like every war that took place, especially if it was in the Middle East, "Ah, this is a sign, Jesus is coming back next week. Well, there are wars and rumors of wars. And we need to understand that we're going to go through international and national difficulties. You know, just because Ukraine is at war right now doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back next month. And we need to understand that also that we are going to go through personal difficulties. And people will speak in the name of Jesus and they will tell you that your life should be Shangri-La. And if you have enough faith, then all of these difficulties in your life are just going to go away. No, Jesus never said that. We will have challenges and difficulties in this life. Jesus is saying that is normal. Keep the end in sight. These things are going to take place, but don't be discouraged. Don't be led astray to think that these things aren't going to happen as you go through difficulties and challenges. The Apostle Peter said this, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. The false prophets in the Old Testament said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. Jesus tells you the truth. And he also tells you that while you're going to go through difficulties, that God is with you. Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 9. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, this was certainly true of the apostles in the context of the 
uh, before the destruction of Jerusalem. But God is with you by the Holy Spirit as you endure, as you look to that finish line. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so the Holy Spirit is with you and in you while you wait, even through your difficulty. And during all of this, we're to take action. We're to bear witness. Verse 9, Jesus says that you will bear witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will bear witness. You'll go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's something that you do. If you want to see the fulfillment of a lot of what Jesus is saying here, just read through the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And Saul approved his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. After the persecution, the rank-and-file Christians were scattered And as they were scattered, as they were persecuted, as they went through difficulties, as they went through trials, what happened? The good news of Jesus Christ went with them. And God used that to accomplish his purpose. And so the Holy Spirit is with you in part for the purpose of accomplishing your mission and God's plan. As you look forward to that finish line, you have a mission and God has a plan. And you're not on your own in accomplishing the mission. God has given you the mission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to others with the help of his word and the help of his spirit. So difficulties in this life do not thwart God's plan, but they help accomplish it, right? So the difficulties in your life do not prevent God from accomplishing his plan, but he uses it, in fact, to accomplish his will. That the whole world, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. That's the goal. For the gospel, the good news to be proclaimed to all nations. We'll look at the book of Acts again for some fulfillment of that. Acts chapter 4, verse 5 and following records Peter being brought before the council. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done by a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You might say, I'm just too tired to go out on mission with all that's going on in my life, with all the difficulties. You know, think of Peter. He was out there, yes, proclaiming. He had no plan. He did not put it on his to-do list that he was going to be speaking to the council, the high priest, and all the head honchos. And yet, because of this persecution and difficulty, he had opportunity to do just that. And it may be that you might say, well, I'm not being persecuted for Jesus Christ. I'm not being dragged into court. Um, And yet you go through difficulties and trials in this life as well. And God can use those to accomplish his purpose. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's strength is made manifest in our weakness. And so it's not wrong to strategize. It's not wrong to pray. It's not wrong to plan in terms of how we can reach out to people for Jesus Christ. But we just need to keep in mind that there is a finish line, that we look forward to that time of the return of Jesus Christ when all will be made right. That's not going to happen until the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you and enable you to bear witness about Christ and the gospel. And it's not under pristine conditions, but under difficult conditions, even direct opposition, that this is going to take place. You will be saved not from difficulty, but through difficulty by continuing to trust and follow Jesus. Mark chapter 13, verses 12 and 13 says, And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So endure to the end. It's either going to be the Lord will bring you home when you die, or the Lord will come back. And that will be the finish line, the ultimate finish line. Endure. Continue to trust in him. Understand that he is with you, that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And that as you rely on him and you trust in him and you keep the finish line in mind and you understand that God is going to work even through the difficulties and challenges in your life, when you, all you can do is put one foot in front of the other, God can use that to accomplish his will of the gospel being proclaimed in all the earth. Now, we look at verses 14 through 23, and the question there is this talking about primarily about the destruction of the temple or the events happening after the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Uh, Is this happening, is this about what's happening before the second coming, or is it the second coming of Christ? And really a case can be made for both. And so let me just read that. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house or take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now, there's definitely allusions to the destruction of the temple here where it talks about the abomination of desolation standing where it not ought to be. That's uh, a phrase quoted from the prophecy of Daniel, the book of Daniel, in a few places. And in fact, the Jews believed that before the time of Christ in 168 BC that this was at least in part fulfilled in uh, the Antiochus Epiphanes coming and setting up an altar uh, to a pagan god in the temple in Jerusalem and, uh, and um, actually offering a pig as a sacrifice where the temple was defiled. And so that is the abomination of desolation. And Jesus is talking about another abomination of desolation that's going to happen in the future. And so there's the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 at the siege of Jerusalem when it was surrounded by Roman troops. And again, there is not one stone left on another. But others believe that the abomination of desolation is yet future. You have, for instance, 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 9, which says, And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And some, for instance, think that the, the wording of Mark 13, 19 through 20 means that it has to be a future event after the destruction of the temple, for in those days there will be such tribulation as not been found from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, he chose whom he chose, he shortened the days. And so I'm, I'm kind of giving you a little bit of the, the sausage making in terms of coming up with a sermon to say that there are different people that have different opinions about when this will be. Um, But even that statement that such things haven't been since the beginning of time, very similar language the historian Josephus had about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And so what I would say as I look at this is, uh, regardless of exactly what's going on here, Jesus is saying this, that there will be the destruction of the temple, and at some point later in the future will be my return. And he's not telling the disciples here exactly what it's going to look like. He's saying, in fact, that there'll be people that will perform signs and wonders. They're saying, give us a sign, Jesus. What will the sign be? 
And he's saying to them, it won't be these signs. It won't be these wonders. In fact, be aware, be wary of them. But instead, wait. Instead, wait and look for my return and understand that in the meantime, it's going to be difficult. There will be challenges. In fact, it's going to be so difficult, he puts it in this term, this way in verse 22, that the elect, if possible, would be led astray. It's going to be so difficult. So again, Jesus is not downplaying the difficulty that people will, come, will go through before his return. And so he doesn't reveal the mystery, but he encourages and enables us to live in the mystery of the moment, in this finish line life, as we look toward the finish line. And so as we conclude the first half of this, we'll look at the next half uh, next time. We've been, lo- we've been learning all about who Jesus Christ is in the Gospel of Mark. We've been lear- looking at the fact that he is the one who has come. He's the one who's come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for you and for me, for those who had placed their faith in him, that they might receive the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, his righteous record given to them. And so as we face difficulty in this life, as we face even direct opposition, we need to look forward to that finish line, but know that he is with us. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 18 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Father, we're so thankful for your word that prepares us. It prepares us to go through difficulties and challenges. Thank you, Father, that we are not left with false prophets who proclaim that all will be easy. All will be without trial or difficulty. We thank you for the words of Jesus Christ. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are even now really undergoing trials and difficulties in places like China, in Iran, other places around the world where they face uh, very overt uh, trials and tribulations for their faith in Jesus Christ. And help us as we undergo difficulties and trials here in this life that we would remain in faith and trust in you. And that as we do, as we walk, as we put one foot in front of the other in faith, that you would use that as a testimony of Jesus Christ, and that people in this world would know and that they would hear all over the world the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, uh, let us continue to sing about that reality that Jesus paid it all. Let's stand and sing.